Did you guys notice spring is here? I'm thankful. Okay, I got out early this morning before the sun was even up, and there were birds chirping. It was raining out, okay? But praise God, it's spring because if it was cold, most of you guys wouldn't have showed up for church today with all the rain we got. That would have been a lot of snow today, right? But the reality of spring hits, and that means yard work. That's the, I love spring. I hate yard work. How many of you guys are in the same boat with me? I know a lot of you guys garden and you love it, um, <clears throat> but I don't like it. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I don't necessarily enjoy it. And one of the things I really hate about spring is weeds. I don't like weeds. Um, they have a tendency um, to show up uh, and you can't ignore them. If you ignore them, you're going to have a problem, aren't you? Can't ignore the weeds. Uh, ignore it long enough and one day you're going to wake up and your whole lawn, your garden is just going to be thrashed. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be a mess. And it's amazing the things that grow the fastest and the hardiest really are weeds, aren't they? They just keep coming back. Do you ever slow down? Do you ever stop? So whether you're talking about at home, in your heart, or at your home, in your garden, in your yard, or in your own heart, your marriage, friendships, or even church, weeds left untended, they're going to cause problems. So one of Satan's strategies, okay, is to weaken the church or a home, is to try to plant weeds there. So weeds cause problems. And if not dealt with, they're going to overrun every part of life. They are destructive so that is what we're seeing take place here this morning as you read through the beginning of Acts chapter 6. The weed planted is murmur, right? So one of the deadliest kinds, I believe. So let's take a read here, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily dis distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude in the, of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. We get to study him next week. I cannot wait. I love Stephen. But I want you guys to catch, he was a man that was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And there was Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parnamis, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch and um, those whom they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. And when the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I love this passage. Isn't this a good passage? You think it's worth taking some more time to go through? Absolutely. So we've seen that the early church, it was growing. It's exciting to take a peek into the book of Acts because we see what God's doing, okay? Jesus died. He rose from the dead. People witnessed. He gave the great commission to go be witnesses to all the world. And the Holy Spirit would be with them. And that's exactly what they're doing. 
and people are coming to faith in Christ. The church is growing. So we have seen the early church. It was growing here, but some, they were living in uh, a communal setting out of necessity. Uh, they had group meals together okay, in these communities, and then a problem arose. A complaint came. There was this group uh, in the early church in Jerusalem, there were two kinds of Jews that were part of this group uh, that had become Christians. You had the Grecian and you had the Hebrew Jews. There's a difference. You see, during the days of Alexander the Great, the Greek culture, uh, style of dress and philosophy really had permeated the known world at that time. And as a result, many of the Jews, they adopted Grecian ways, especially those who had been born and raised in provinces that were away from Israel. So they did not learn Hebrew. They spoke Greek. So these were known as Hellenists. So does that make a little sense for you guys? Okay. So the other Jews referred to as Hebrews remained true to the old Jewish Hebrew traditions of Judaism. And over time, the Hebrews looked down on the Grecian Jews as compromising. You guys, what are you doing? You need to come back, be like us, secondhand or class Jews. So now it seems that the, at least the perception of the attitude had really crept in now to the early church. The Hellenistic Jews had felt that their widows, they were being slighted or they were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So there arose, uh, arose this complaint, which is murmuring, okay? This murmuring is starting to take place. A secret displeasure not avowed. Murmur. It usually starts with a secret, right? Over coffee. Can you believe? You know what really bugs me? I just don't understand how. You guys can fill in the blanks. That's how it starts. It's kind of like a weed, isn't it? Oh, look at that little weed. Oh, it's a big, ugly weed. How did it get so big so fast? That's what murmuring does, guys. Okay? It begins to grow. I was talking to so-and-so the other day, and they really had a good point about happens so easily, doesn't it, guys? It starts to grow. Each person gets shared with, like a little water to a weed, and it just spreads. So something so simple as an extra piece of bread or a larger helping of mashed potatoes was ready to destroy something that was so precious, something beautiful that God had begun. Murmuring is always wrong. It's always unhealthy. Murmuring brought the judgment of God upon the children of Israel in the wilderness. Correct? Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I read in the scripture. Why did the judgment come? Because of their complaining. Because of their murmuring. So we see that in the Old Testament. Now we see it here in the New Testament, the beginning of the, the church. And murmuring is usually a mark of some uh, cantankerous, discontented, and unhappy spirit, always connected to those things. An indication that there's a problem really with the heart of a person. When you hear murmuring, what's going on on the inside? What's going on in your heart? Um, 
read a story earlier this week that really illustrated this point well. I think you guys will like it. It's not a true story, but it makes the point. On a hot day, a family was traveling down the highway between Johnstown and Jamestown. And they stopped at Farmer John's place to ask for a drink of water, which he gladly gave them. And they asked, where are you headed? And they told him, we're moving from Johnstown to Jamestown to live. Can you tell us what the people are like? Farmer Jones asked, well, what kind of people did you find where you lived before? To which they replied, oh, they were the worst kind. They were gossipy and they were unkind and they were indifferent. We are so glad to move away. Farmer Jones replied, well, I'm afraid you'll find the same in Jamestown. The next day, another car stopped and the same conversation took place. These people were moving to Jamestown too. And they asked, what kind of neighbors will we find there? Well, Farmer Jones asked, what kind of neighbors uh, did you have where you lived before? The couple responded, oh, they were the very best. They were so kind and considerate that it almost broke our hearts to have to move away. Farmer Jones replied, well, you will find exactly the same kind again. So what's going on in your heart will play a part in how you see others. That's the bottom line. When believers are unhappy and begin to murmur, the first place to look for the problem is in their own hearts. What should you do when you have a legitimate complaint? Or when you see a definite problem? This might have been a legitimate complaint here. Okay? Know this. You know, if you see a problem, chances are God has shown you that problem because he wants you to be a part of the solution. You see, practically, as well as relationally, if you see a problem, what should you do first? First thing is you pray. You always pray. No matter what happens in life, pray first, right? Just pray on it. Ask the Lord, you know, what, what's up with this situation? What can I do to help in this situation? How can I be used? I see a hole. How can I be a plug for this problem? Okay? See that hole. Plug it up. If you see a person struggling, ask how you might come alongside them to help them. They didn't pray. They didn't go to the apostles for counsel. And the implication from the text is murmuring had become so loud. It arose in the word. The New Living Translation says they were rumblings of discontentment. Okay, So this murmuring going on. It became so loud that the apostles end up hearing about it. So why? <laughs> uh, why did they hear? Because of the murmuring. And when they heard about it, they dealt with it right away. First, pray and then talk to the right people. You see, there's a priority of the apostles that we read about. Look again at verse 2. The 12, the apostles, the disciples who walked with Jesus. Okay, The multitude of the disciples, um, they summoned them. 
And it says, it's not desirable that we should be, leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, um, it's very easy to read this as the apostles maybe seeing it we're too good or we're too important to wait on tables why don't you guys go find seven others not as important and they can take care of it but that's not the case at all you guys need to understand that's not what it says remember jesus washed their feet their dirty stinky feet <laughs> and told them specifically you guys you go and do the same so they ta were taught by the greatest of all to become the least of all <laughs> to be servants of all to be servant leaders so jesus had modeled that to them servant leadership now they were not in any sense downgrading the ministry of serving tables at all their response was a matter of priority rather than preference so they simply understood we can't do everything and we must give our priority to preaching and to prayer so it was a matter of calling rather than an uh, issue of need so here's what the apostles were saying our calling is not the distribution of food our calling is the distribution of the word so the disciples determined here to focus on praying and preaching the same greek word diakona is translated serve in verse 2 and ministry in verse 4 it's the same word you guys understand ministry is service and they were called to a specific service to the church from god okay so they were saying we'll serve the word you serve the tables in ephesians chapter 4 you can jot down chapter 4 verse 11 and 12 it says the lord gave to the church apostles teachers pastors and evangelists to perfect the saints so they can do the work of the ministry so that's what the church is to do god gives gifted people to raise up ministers that they can do the ministry so leaders are to bring people to maturity so that they can ministry why do we have 16 men going through a leadership training this was god's called the church to do raise up do you want to be the one of those men hey i want to grow up i want to mature i want to be useful so the apostles they determined not to let any service take precedence over prayer in the ministry of the word that was their priority i want you to remember at the same time the scriptures as we have them they weren't written yet the new testament had not yet been penned at this point in the book of acts okay so none of the new testament um, <laughs> was there yet all of the truths of the new testament which are reflected um, in the pages we get to read today they were being uttered by the apostles as they taught the people from place to place they were expounding on the truths of christ what they had been taught from him and these things would become written to make up the new testament so it is essential as they understood it to devote themselves to this and just think if they had responded to the need rather than the calling we might not have the new testament we might not have this awesome passage in acts chapter 6 this morning for us to go through together as a church okay 
So waiting on tables would have left the apostles little time for anything or anyone else. So they would have dried up under the pressure. And this is a priority for the church today. The Bible teaches that a man that God calls to shepherd the flock must himself wholly, uh, begin wholly to prayer and to preaching. So living by those priority requires total commitment. The phrase, give ourselves continually here, if you look it up, it actually stresses disciples' commitment. The calling of a pastor is one of saturating yourself in the word of God. So one of the first things I ask anyone who wants to be a pastor, hey, what's God teaching you right now in the word? How's your devotion life when it comes to God's word? I know a lot of people who want to be teachers. <laughs> Let me tell you what, I penned a bunch of sermons before I ever preached my first sermon. If it's in your heart to be a pastor, you're going to have a desire to be in the word. You're going to have a conviction that others need to hear. They need to be taught. So, we see the pastoral ministry here. Um, the story uh, is told once of a great Bible teacher. And when he had finished teaching, there was a young man okay, who approached him and said, hey, I'd give the world to teach the Bible like you. And the teacher replied, that's exactly what it will cost you. I like that. We also read in Paul's instructions to Timothy. Paul told Timothy his ministry was, uh, 1 Timothy 4.11, command and teach. And then in verse 13 of that chapter, as you guys know, he told him, hey, till I come, give att or, uh, attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Young Timothy, young pastor, this is what you need to be doing so that refers to reading the text, explaining the text, and applying the text. A good definition of exp uh, expository preaching. And that's what we do here. I have a very strong conviction about verse-by-verse -verse teaching. You guys know that. I think that's a big part of the reason why you've chosen Freedom Fellowship to be your home church. You see what we're reading about here in Acts chapter 6. The Word of God and what happens. People get saved. The church grows. We see that throughout the scriptures. And do we trust the word and what God has said about his word, that it does effectively work in those who believe? Expository teaching, what is that? It's exposing what God says. And that's what I love about verse-by-verse -verse teaching. That's what I love about Acts chapter 6 here this morning. What point is the Holy Spirit making in the word of God? Well, that's what we want to expose. That's what I want to teach to you guys, because that's what matters. Who cares what I think? It doesn't matter what I think. If we did here at Freedom Fellowship what Landon Churchill thought, we would be a mess. We are, uh, it would not be pretty. <laughs> but I do believe, okay, even though we lack much and we are messed up in ways, I believe there's a blessing upon our fellowship just because we take the Word of God seriously. And we're going to teach the whole counsel of God. We had the guys up earlier, our children's teachers. Hey, Genesis to Revelation, it is all God's word. It is all important. Our kids need to know that. Well, mom and dad, grandpa, grandma, you need to know that because you're the ones called to teach your kids those truths. And let me tell you what, the truth, the word of God, it is powerful, it is alive, 
It sets us free. I want you guys to be the freest people on planet Earth. And I'm under the conviction, guys, that it's going to be through exposing the Scriptures correctly. And I want to give myself a big part of the reason why I've stepped away from other work, other ministry. I have a conviction to give myself to the Word and to prayer like never before. And the reason is I do trust God's Word. And I believe that God's going to do much through it. And I want us to be a church. Not, hey, you got to come hear my pastor teach. No, it's not about a pastor. It's not about a person. Okay? If church is about someone's personality or how good they can speak, we're missing it, guys. It's the Word of God that works in us. It's the Word of God that's going to make real change happen. True transformation. It's His Word. Sanctify them in truth, Jesus said. My word is truth. It's going to be his word. And if you guys are being taught expository preaching, exposing what the Holy Spirit has spoken through his word, I pray that you're doing the same, that you're learning yourselves because you're being taught how to study correctly, that you can study on your own correctly, get it right, and be sharing it with others We ought to all be teachers. That is my conviction. Yes, we're all in different places in our walks. Some of you are babes in Christ. Some of you might be here this morning. You're not a believer. You're maybe seeking out, searching out these things. Can I really trust the Word of God? What the Holy Bible says? Are these claims of Christ for real? And I hope you keep seeking because they absolutely are. And you come to faith in Christ. We all are to grow and to mature. So... That is something, guys, that we see in Scripture uh, clearly. I also see there in 1 Timothy 4, Paul uses, uh, in verses 14 to 16, he says specifically, neglect young Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in you. Meditate upon these things, give yourself wholly to them, that your progress may be evident to all, and take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That's important. So that is the call for someone who feels drawn to be a pastor today. Give yourself to the word. The apostles had to stay committed to their priority. The best thing that any of us can do is to learn what God is calling us to do and do it wholeheartedly. Do it well. Are we all called to do the exact same thing? No. We have different callings. We're part of the body. If one of us isn't doing our part, guess what? we're all going to be affected. And that's where we want to encourage one another. We want the church to be equipped for every good work that God sets before us. So in that, guys, we get to do this together. So the problem that many people have is that they try to do more than what they're called to do, and they end up doing nothing well. My problem has been trying to wear too many hats, and I would ask you guys to pray for me in that way. You guys know what the difference is between a sharpshooter and a shotgun blast? Sharpshooter is going to hit their target and they're going to do damage, big time damage. Take a shotgun, shot, shots spread out all over. You know, you might hit something and it doesn't really penetrate. It doesn't do too much damage. I would love for us to come alongside each other, encourage each other in our callings, our giftings that we're taking seriously 
the training, the equipping of the saints, that we're all sharpshooters. I'd, I'd love to be on a team of sharpshooters. You know, great shot. Look what you, you just took that out. <laughs> Darkness just went down over there. You know, it'd be so cool. Instead of us just shooting off all this stuff. And that's kind of what I see the church doing. There is more stuff in the church than ever before. Man, the resources. You can Google anything. You know, even when it comes to teaching the Word, you don't have to study the Word for yourselves anymore, guys. There's so many little cute devotionals out there that you can get, you know, pinged to your phone every day. Hey, look what I got. I'm in the Word. No, we need to study. We need to press in. We got to go to deep ourselves because there's a lot of shot out there. I want Freedom Fellowship for us to be a bunch of snipers. We'll see if that makes it on the... Snipers for Christ. Tony will have t-shirts next week for us. <laughs> so the apostles, they were here giving themselves uh, to their calling and priority. So they were not going to be the ones to meet the need. They were what? Told, to, told the, the disciples, hey, you guys, we're given to prayer, to preaching. You guys choose some proven men. I want you guys to catch that. Proven men. Had the apostles done everything, no one else would have grown and had the opportunity to develop their gifts. So the apostles want them to be a part of the solution. Choose seven men. D.L. Moody used to say this. He said, it's better to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. And it gives opportunity. That's why I'm so blessed that there's so many guys in the church. Hey, I want to be a part. I want to serve. I want to grow. And leaders are learners. You guys understand that? I was so blessed that the team went down to Kentucky. You know? And that's something I'm hoping to offer our, our, our teachers is opportunities to get better equipped. Why? Because leaders learn. And that's something we all should be doing. We should all be given to reading, to learning. Some of you guys might not know where to turn. I just said there's so much today out in the church. Stick to the word of God. Dig in. Study thoroughly. If you want some good practical reads, man, there's a lot of classics out there in the church. Come pick my brain. I'll pass on some books your way. But learn. Be learning. Get together with other brothers and sisters. Hey, I, I feel called to serve in this capacity, in this way. Can you hold me accountable? Can we pray? Can I debrief with you? Share what I'm learning. Somebody to bounce off of. Those are good things to do. Serve with me. Man, I think there's a lot of times there's people who are willing to serve. They just need to be asked to come along. Hey, you want to go? You want to be a part of this? You want to do that? You know, people get hooked. They just need the invite. So I also want you guys to notice the criteria for the proven men. First, they were men of good reputation. So they were to have a good witness in the congregation. They were to be men of good character and who could be trusted, men who had already won confidence of others, already stood out, guys who were already doing the work. Okay, We should never be surprised. Why are they doing that? No, that makes sense. I know them. They love the Lord. They love others. They care about the church. Of course they're going to be doing that. The second thing is that they were to be men full of the Holy Spirit. So in Scripture, to be full of 
means to be controlled by. So these were men who were controlled by the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of Christians, if you're born again of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You guys are born again, you know what I'm talking about. Okay? You just know. It's like your eyes are, oh boy, <laughs> this whole thing is true. Jesus really is God. He's alive. You just know. You can't explain it. I've told, I told you guys this before, but I wish I could take the Holy Spirit that God's given me and just give it to a non-believer for like five seconds. Like, hey, here, <laughs> just see. <laughs> you know, just know. You know, and it is. When you, when you get saved, you open up the scripture and you're like, what is going on? This all makes sense. This is true. How could I not see this before? <laughs> You're blind, you know? But it's one of those things, guys. God's given every believer the Holy Spirit. But not every believer is full of the Holy Spirit. We can grieve, okay? We cannot yield to. And a lot of people, man, I wish I had a more spiritual life. I wish I was a lot walking like brother so-and-so or like sister so-and-so. You know, well, what are they doing? They've surrendered. That's all they've done. They have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit you got. They're just full because they're letting God do what He wants. That's the difference. The surrendered life is what God has called us to. He wants us to be full of the Spirit. Spend some time in Ephesians chapter 5 later today if you're not familiar with this teaching or this doctrine. Study it out for yourselves. It's something that God wants of us. So, these were to go and look for men full of the Holy Spirit. So, question, I guess, for you and I this morning, who or what are you controlled by? Are you controlled by the Spirit of God or not? Some men are controlled by debt. Man, I'm in a hole, and this is going to dictate every choice I make every decision. Some men are controlled by their passions. Their flesh dictates what they're going to do. Some men are controlled by their wives. <laughs> I'm serious. Where we vacation, how we spend our money, where we go to church, what activities should the kids be in. She calls all the shots. And ladies, if that's happening, that's out of place. When you assume the role, you're emasculating your husband. Biblically, he is called to be the leader. And when you strip him of that role, you're actually weakening him. And men, listen. When you're controlled by the Spirit of God, you're easier to follow. I have that conviction as your pastor. I have that conviction as a husband. I have that conviction as a dad. So they were to choose men who were spirit-led and spirit-empowered. Men who were characterized by their dependence upon God. It's going to be him. Nothing more. It's going to be him, period. He has called me. I know who I am. I'm weak. I'm frail. I'm foolish. I'm nothing. <laughs> and God is going to do. You see, that is one of the characteristics of a spiritual man. Carnal Christian thinking worldly into things of the word, things of the world, that can be a mark there. But the word carnal means fleshy. Okay? A carnal Christian is one who counts on something within himself. He says, I've got what it takes. Just give me a chance. I'll show you that I can do it for Christ. He can be one who seeks to serve God in the energy of his own flesh, his own energy, 
who leans on his fleshly wisdom and his own know-how rather than being directed by the Holy Spirit. So a carnal man is prone to lean upon his own experiences and know-how, confidence in primarily his own qualifications and his own ability, prone to striving, forcing doors open. So these men had to be spiritual men, full of the Holy Spirit. Last week we had a group up sharing about uh, the food pantry in the ministry there. I read through Acts 6 here and I think about the food pantry, everything that God's doing. But the thing that I'm so blessed by is having brothers and sisters full of the Holy Spirit who are serving in that ministry. That's the thing that's most needed because anybody can stock a shelf, big groceries. But man, you get a spiritual man or woman stocking shelves, begging groceries. It's not about the food. It's about the people. The heart behind it's a little different. Something else we also see about these men, they're supposed to be full of wisdom. So wisdom is knowledge applied. Because we can know a lot of people. I know a lot of smart people or some of the dumbest people I've ever met. But how can you know this and keep doing that? I got one brother, I won't say who he was or is, um, but he's been at the church through the years. Uh, for you guys who don't know, I've spent the last six years in jail. I just got out two months ago. Um, <laughs> but he was a man who had reoffended five times while I was up there. Five times. And it's just one of those things. I'd get together with him, and the thing that would come out of his mouth, the second I'd sit down with him, he's like, you're back again. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> he knows. He knows, but he keeps doing it. That's the thing, guys. We can know what's right. We can have a lot of knowledge, but do we apply what we know? You see, someone who is full of wisdom is one who knows the Word of God and knows how to apply it to practical situations. So they were to be proven, okay? I like this. They had to be men who were proven, spirit-filled, who had spiritual knowledge. So weren't they just handing out food? No. <laughs> Ministry is always about the people, guys. It's always about the people. We are about the people, okay, and their needs. So the apostles knew this, and so they wanted men who were able to minister to the people, men who would have the spiritual sensitivity to see the needs, men who knew the word enough to bring counsel to the wisdom to meet those needs with the word. Okay, We need to do that. I'd ask you guys to be praying for a gal by the name of Dolly. Her house burnt a lot a couple weeks ago just down the road here. Okay, We've known her for years. The youth group is getting in contact with her and probably going to go over and help clean and uh, serve her in whatever ways this next week. Um, but I'd be praying that you guys would just be praying for her because she's overwhelmed. I think any of us would be overwhelmed if our house burned, right? You know? But I didn't need opportunity just to pray with her. And what I simply asked her is, because I know what the word says, Dolly, you just went through a huge thing. You don't have nowhere to stay. What's going to happen? You know? Well, just praying with her. And I just asked her, my first question, you know, it's not about the situation. My first question to her when I got to talk with her is, hey, have you been talking to God about this? Because I know for anybody going through anything, it's Jesus. It's going to be him. And I just encourage you guys, when we take the scriptures in, that we're applying it. Because we can come alongside people, 
We can try to help and never give them what they really need. But if we know the scriptures, we're going to know what they need. We're going to be able to minister to them. So, going on here, let's look at verse 5 again here in Acts chapter 6. So the saying, it pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prakaras, uh, Nakaranor, Timon, Paranas, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So there's a pleasing solution here. Uh, there's something wonderful here. All of these names that we just read, they're all Greeks. Did you guys catch that? Those aren't normal Hebrew names. Oh, it's because they're Greek names, okay? I think that's kind of cool. It means that they were probably chosen among the complaining party, right? So Greek-speaking Jews. In other words, they were saying, hey, look, you Greek-speaking Jews, you are not as many as the Hebrew speakers, and you may not trust us, but we trust you. Isn't that a beautiful picture there? Okay? So church problems give us opportunity to exercise our faith, not only faith in the Lord, but also faith in one another. And I don't want you guys to miss that. Okay? Always give the benefit of the doubt. Always be for your brother and sister. I hate how much tearing down happens within the church. There's enough of it in the world. Why does it have to happen here? Let's knock it off. You know? So, I love verse 7. There's three powerful results here as we conclude the study this morning. You guys catch there in verse 7, then the word of God spread. Isn't that awesome? I'd love if the word of God spread. Wouldn't that be good? I mean, this is good stuff. But the bummer is, a lot of people don't ever hear it. They never take the time. I don't know how many people I've asked, hey, you have a Bible? Yeah, do you read it? No. (laughs) You have a Bible? Yeah, i got a few of them, but I've never read it. Read the Word of God. Get into the Word. Hear what it says. So what does it mean, it says, the Word of God spread and increase? Well, this phrase is used several times in Scripture, and every time it means that the Word of God abounded more. It was more widely proclaimed. Obviously, the apostles now had more time to speak and utter the Word of God. Okay? Um, and secondly, it was a direct result of the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So the word of God was going forth, going forth. Brian shared with me this morning, there was a young gal that came last week for the first time. She went downstairs, five years old, and saw everybody else having a Bible and stuff. And I heard she went home, got her Bible, and she's been reading all week. How cool is that? It's just awesome. But that's what happens when we, church, take the word of God serious. Because what if that gal went to a church, and I don't want to judge, but on my sabbatical this last year, I visited a lot of churches, and most of the saints didn't come to church with their Bible. All the churches I visited, Bible churches. Most of them walked in without Bibles. There's something, when you walk into a setting, and you see others with the Word of God, there's something serious about this. These people, they love God. They're loving each other. They're loving on me, and I, they don't even know me. What's going on? <laughs> it's cool to be people of the book, and it's going to stir up others. I love when we have Bible studies. I love meeting with a brother at a coffee shop, and Bibles are opened. Okay, 
I've actually, in the last few months, I'm done reading Bible on my phone. I'm done. There's just something about having my Bible now. I've always felt that and thought that. But there's something, this morning at Starbucks early, <laughs> physically having a Bible out. Let me tell you what, I didn't get to talk to anybody this morning. I normally do. But having my Bible out there, I think, spoke to a lot of people. What's this guy doing here early on a Sunday morning with his Bible open? You know? Maybe that'll stir them up to say, hey, I've never really taken the scriptures seriously. I'm going to go grab that Bible one of those Gideons handed to me that one day 20 years ago. <laughs> open it up and see what it says. So I encourage you guys, be people of the book. Um, third surprise, and great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Isn't that kind of cool? Oh, let me backtrack for a second. I want to talk about the, the disciples being multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Uh, that's the second direct result that we saw here. The word of God was abounding. Um, all we need to do is get the truth out to people. That's what we need to do. Be creative, whatever ways you can. Get the word out to people. Uh, I encourage you guys. Um, social media, I know a ton of you guys are on there. And I love when you share something that God's been ministering, especially scripture. To be honest with you, I fly through feeds. But if there's scripture, I'll slow down. Hey, I want to read. Like, like each other's stuff. Because what ends up happening is you get a lot of likes. Other people start seeing it right away. You know, and how cool would it be if Brother Tony throws up John four or fourteen six? You know, Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through Him." You know, great. Pastor liked it, but what if twenty people liked it? I don't think Tony has a lot of friends on Facebook. I don't know if he does or not. But say he doesn't have a lot. But if he actually got twenty likes, you know what ended up happening? All his other friends would end up probably seeing that verse where they probably wouldn't before. So I encourage each other. Encourage one another in sharing of the word. You know, go for it. Man, if you got a brother or sister who has a desire to go share with their neighbors, pray for them. Seriously be praying for them. Encourage them in that. Follow up with them. Even if they had a hard time, I tried and nobody wanted to hear. Encourage them to keep going. Because let me tell you what. Darkness is not like the light. <laughs> we got to keep doing and sharing because if we don't, no one else is going to. So the Bible is truth. It is the way things really are. And we are living in a world ruled by illusion and fantasy where people are very confused, dis disrupted, upset. Uh, they feel that there's nothing certain. There's nothing that can truly be trusted. Everything is a cloud of uncertainty and an illusion and they do not know where to turn. The world doesn't know what to believe. The truth of God's word hits with wonderful impact upon such minds. And then the third thing we see is this great surprise in these priests becoming obedient to the faith. Think about this. Any priest walking into a temple on the first Friday, the first Good Friday, seeing the veil being rent from top to bottom, and having some miraculous thing take place there in the temple like that. Okay? It only could have been done by the hand of God. The veil was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 10 inches thick. Okay? It took 100 priests just to hang the thing, and it just rips in half. No, God's saying, open house. 
come on in. Nothing's going to separate you from God any longer because my son Jesus just died for the sins of the world and he's going to conquer sin, death, hell. Man, the holy of holies, the sacrifice that was needed finally was made. Wouldn't that be cool? I sat down with the eight priests of whatever diocese of the valley, the eight top guys. Not one of them literally believes the word of God is true. Not one priest. Wouldn't it be cool if the word of God was going forth in such a way that the priests would believe? It'd be awesome. We are people of the book. We believe it. If you don't believe it, I'd love to talk with you. (laughs) But I want to encourage you guys. Keep clinging to the truth. Keep looking to Jesus. He's the Logos. He's the Word of God.